everyone, and welcome to the Songbirds Radio Hour. I'm your host, Reed Caldwell, and if you haven't put it together just yet from our intro music, our guest tonight is Katie Tunstall. played songbirds in september 2023 and i was fortunate enough to interview her backstage before her show we chatted about how she got started playing guitar making it big in the music industry performing solo versus with a band and even how to tastefully use a loop pedal for tonight's radio hour we're going to share that conversation along with a playlist of katie's music and some of her earlier influences including dire straits billy holiday tom waits and the talking heads Without further ado, let's get this Songbirds Radio Hour started. Here's Katie Tunstall backstage at Songbirds in September 2023. So, I don't know how familiar you are, how much your management's filled you in on Songbirds and what we do. No, please, please tell me. So, everything, the museum and everything in it is all part of under the umbrella of the Songbirds Foundation, which is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. And we, our primary goal is to bring music to kids all across the South. So every dollar we make from every show and everything we do, museum, entry, merch, beer sales, whatever, goes back to our Guitars for Kids program. We give away about a thousand guitars every year. Yeah. But we, um, I mean, that's how I learned. I just, I picked up a guitar in a, I never took lessons, but there was some guitars at the school, at my high school, and I would just sneak off and teach myself so it's having having the instrument to start with is how you learn totally yeah yeah i mean it's just one of those things and you know i think having access to an instrument is crucial band's great and we support that that's a great thing to do but like it doesn't fit every kid you know and neither to sports and so having being able to provide sets of guitars to schools you know allows kids to do exactly what you did yeah it's awesome it's just letting them uh Letting them get to know the instrument in their own way, you know, not having to tell them what's right or wrong about how to do it. I mean, I I just, I still don't know what chords I'm playing half the time because I can't play bar chords. I've got skinny fingers and big knuckles. So um, (laughs) I just make the chords up. So a lot of the time I don't even, I learned piano classically and I know my chords, but um, I often, I don't really care what chord I'm playing. I'm like, does it sound good? <laughs> right. Well, I think that's the crucial part about playing any instrument is if you have an ear and you can hear if it sounds good or bad, that, that's a yeah. good step in the right direction. I feel like that gives you a good leg up. And the, the guitar is such a fantastic instrument because it can be played quickly. You can learn to play the guitar super quick. I mean, people are yes. always like, oh, I'm sure you've heard it. it's. I, always, I feel like I always sound like an infomercial or something where I'm like, yeah, just 10 minutes a day. You can learn to play guitar. 10 minutes a day, three chords, you're 50% of the way yeah. of learning every song that was ever written. Yeah. Learn those three chords and then one minor yeah. chord and you're, you're set. And it's like, it's portable. It's the other thing. Yeah. You can just take it anywhere with you. And, um, it, it's just so, so many songs that we love have been written on guitar as well. So 
they're the song that, you know, your some most, a lot of your favorite songs are going to be very easy to learn, um, by just having a guitar. Yeah. And they're, they're around, they're like, uh, you know, you go on a vacation and you go somewhere and there's just one leaning in the corner of some hotel room. And you're like, Oh, cool. I'm- it's also quite hard to make a guitar sound awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like if you have someone who can't play a violin, get out the room. Like that is just a terrible noise. But someone just, even on a piano, like it's really loud, but on a guitar, if someone's noodling around and just kind of learning, it's actually not like an abrasive sound either, which is good. I mean, electric guitar, different conversation. I I can agree with you since I was, (laughs) I was a person that lived with a person that was learning to play the fiddle for a while. Yeah, The guy at guitar center who's off at 11, different conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I don't think my wife would care if I told this story, but she, uh, she was learning to play the fiddle and I was upstairs in her house and I like, I started smelling this really strong smell and I couldn't figure out what it was. I went down and I was like, thought maybe it was something in the fridge and I opened the fridge, nothing. And then I happened to walk by the front door and the front door just reeked and I like opened the door and like three feral cats like shot out into the night. And I guess, I guess the squeaking and squawking from the violin and like scared the hell out of the cats and they like come and retaliated against us, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Someone was, another cat was shouting there was free beer. So we were just waiting outside. We're just outside hanging out, having a good time. Yeah. She learned how to speak feral cat. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's uh, talk a little bit about how I know you mentioned that you you kind of had a guitar. Talk a little bit about some of the your musical influences and kind of how you got started and what you were trying to do at, when you at an yeah. early age. I mean, I had a pretty unusual upbringing because um, I was the only person in my family who played anything, so there was no family music history, um, and my parents didn't listen to music really, so there was no music collection. I was not familiar with any records growing up. Um, my dad did have a, like a cassette player and my big brother had a cassette player. And I think my dad had about nine cassette tapes that he listened to like now and then, but he would listen to Mozart and Beethoven. It was the soundtrack of Chariots of Fire by Vangelis, which by the way, I still love. Um, some Billy Holiday, which I didn't like when I was a kid, but I adore now. Um, and this guy called Tom Lehrer, who's like a genius Harvard mathematician, satirist, singer, songwriter. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium. He did a song. My dad was a physicist, and he did this song called The Table of Elements, where he's going, hydrogen, molybdenum, oxygen. He's like amazing. Um, kind of Gilbert and Sullivan style uh, take on the the table of elements from physics, and so it was a very weird collection of uh, cassettes that my dad had. And then I got to sort of seven or eight, and my big brother started listening to like Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Dire Straits, and I loved it. I was just I would like sit outside his bedroom door. He had a really nice cassette player that was like one of the flat ones that popped up. So I was actually recording Bon Jovi secondhand through a door, and that that was my first albums. 
So we've made several musical references, and now's a great time to take a closer look at some of that music. Right now you're hearing Bon Jovi, we'll follow it by KT herself, and then Billie Holiday. You're listening to the Songbirds Radio Hour. 16, I feel 100 years old. My foster daddy went, took my innocence away. The street life ain't much better, but at least I'm getting paid. And Tuesday just might go my way. It can't get worse than yesterday.
myself so I'm gonna let her do all the talking Ooh. Ooh. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere With a big black horse and a cherry tree Ooh. Ooh. I felt a little fear upon my back I said don't look back just keep on walking Ooh. Ooh. But the big black horse said look this way He said hello But I said no, 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 no I said no, no, you're not the one for me No, 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 no I said no, no, you're not the one for me Ooh. And my heart hit a problem in the early hours So I stopped it dead for a beat or two Cut some cord and I shouldn't have done it And it won't forgive me after all these years Ooh. Ooh. So I sent it to a place in the middle of nowhere With a big black horse and a cherry tree Ooh. Ooh. Now I won't come back cause it's all so happy And now I got a hold of the world to see Thank you. 
without a dream in my heart, without a love of my own. Songbirds Radio Hour. Our guest, who you just heard sandwiched between two of her earliest influences, is KT Tunstall. If you're just joining us, she played a show here at Songbirds in September 2023, and we were lucky enough to catch up with her backstage. Tonight, we're sharing that conversation along with a selection of Katie's tunes and her influences. And that, that was my first albums. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a pretty crazy beginning. And then, and I, I'd started piano lessons because I loved playing. Mm -hmm. So I'd start, I, I begged my parents for piano lessons from like the age of four. I was super young, wanting to play instruments. Um, and then I didn't find a guitar until I was about 15 at high school and just picked it up. And that, and I was off to the races. I was like, this is my instrument. This just feels like an extra limb. Just yeah. very natural. And that's when I started writing songs. Yeah, I think that's what makes guitar so special. So the question out of that is, can you still sing the periodic song? Uh, yeah, song? I wish. I never <laughs> could. I never could. I, I mean, I should really learn that just out of respect. But um, yeah, go yeah, listen to Tom Lehrer, Table of Elements. It's so funny. You could play it tonight at the show. You just be like, <laughs> okay, now we're going to do something really I weird. I am playing. I am going to try a new song tonight, though, that I've never covered before. So... um the state song, right? About all the states in the union. <laughs> it's not <laughs> particularly educational per se, but um, usually because I'm on the road all the time, I always miss the shows I want to see. I never see the movies I want to see. They're out the, out the movie theater by the time I'm off tour. And last night was just one of these weird, like planets aligning. I, I We got into Chattanooga and I Googled what was on. And it was the it was a one night only world premiere of Stop Making Sense at the IMAX with a live Q and A with Talking Heads all back together live stream from Toronto. That was here. That was here at the Aquarium. It was so awesome, and so I, that's what I did with my night off. I went to the Aquarium IMAX, and it was crazy. All these people were dancing. Everyone had like gone up to the back of the IMAX theater and they're all dancing along. And I'd never seen the movie before. I'd seen parts of it. Um, and man, that absolutely blew me away. And, and the, my favorite part is the beginning where David Byrne comes on. And this was their touring show. This, it, was, it was a film of the show that they toured. So they, they kind of really were bedded in. So they were confident with the show. But he comes on with a boombox that just plays a beat and he plays Psycho Killer on his own. In this completely raw theatre where you can see the back walls. And as the show goes on, all the other instruments and band members and scenery and lighting all starts. But this version of Psycho Killer, I was like, I could totally do that with my loop pedal. So I'm going to try and do that tonight. Yeah. I've never done it before. So warning to all coming. I feel like that's the best <laughs> way to do it, though, right? I like think so. We're going to have a go at playing it, Chattanooga. We're going to play it. But I'm going to just do my best. Never, ever played this. Didn't even, like, play it. I didn't even play it earlier. I was just like, it'll be fine. 
So just a heads up, it might not be. Just a heads up. But let's try it. So I need to recreate that beat, right? So I found some sounds on my little machine. This is called a hand sonic. But because I'm a storyteller, I like to call it hand Christian Andersonic. That's how it starts. And then there's a thing. So I'm going to do the thing. That's it. That's his boombox. All right. Now I've got to actually sing the song. so nice to be able to throw something in like hey I, I got really inspired by this thing and to tell the story and of course everyone here will know that song and yeah. it's great to have them sing along well and that's enjoy one it. of the really great uh uh advantages of playing solo is that you can just do whatever you want and take your time and tell stories and change the set and um, change and I, keys in the middle of everything exactly. and not tell anyone. i mean i get it with a banter and i often would keep to the same set list with a banter because you've got a light show and you've got their, the sound engineer and everybody's got their settings and you want it to be the best show possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a great thing about being solo that you can just throw something new in there yeah. whenever you want. So we got you through high school basically. And now it wasn't just a tremendous amount of time before you put out your first album. I've heard you it say was, before. Yeah. That- I mean, it was longer than people realize, I think. So when I picked that guitar up, it was a nylon string classical guitar that I started on and I, le- I started off learning picking. I was really enjoying just kind of uh, learning picking styles. But as soon as I started playing on the street, I met some friends in my hometown who were, we call it busking when you play on the street for money. And uh, I, w- I worked out real quick that you're not going to make any money picking on the street because <laughs> no one can hear you. So that was when I started playing rhythm guitar and really started enjoying playing rhythm and, and trying to sort of sound like the whole band, mm-hmm. you know, with one instrument. Um, but if if someone had told me when I was 15, when I picked up the guitar, it was going to take another 15 years before I got my record deal, that would have sobered me, mm-hmm. I think. I would have been pretty surprised. So you were like 29 when you put out? I was uh, 29 when I got my record deal. I remember my 30th birthday was kind of as the record was coming out and uh so i was a late blossomer for sure but mm-hmm. i just had chubby cheeks i was lucky i looked i looked yeah. younger than i was i mean a lot of the a lot of the greatest performers out there were you know didn't get their really yeah their i mean i think cheryl crow was 34 i think when she got her record deal wasn't brandy carlisle like she was pretty because she just 
She yeah. put out so many albums, but then she had well, Brandy's the one that hit. amazing. Brandy's a good friend of mine, and Brandy actually opened up for me. Was how we met. Like, yeah. um, uh, yeah, it must have been fifteen years ago now. And um, so to watch her ascent has been just a thrill ride. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible, and it's all it's all hard work and unbelievable talent, and yeah. um, and just grit. She's amazing. They build wooden houses on frozen ponds in the summertime when the water's gone. Diagonal lines in their rolled out lawns, and the sage always smells so pretty. But nobody cares where the birds have gone when the rain comes down on Babylon. The stonemason's phone rings all day long, and you gotta get back to the city. I build my house up on this rock, baby. talking about her earlier i was telling him because we were we thought we might interview her when she was here for moon river but it didn't work out but i was like i had to i had to delete her uh, i think it's her second or third album that that was after she kind of got i can't remember the name of the album but the second song was so catchy it would get stuck in my head for like weeks (laughs) and i ended up having to delete it off my phone because i was like it's so good like i just i can't stop singing it just drives me nuts no she's Um, she's one that really um blows me away she showed she showed me up close as a friend what it takes to get to where she's got to and and anyone going oh i should be famous and i should be playing red rocks and i'm like well have a look at what she did to get there and tell me if you're willing to do that because that is hard work it is and, uh, and, and dedication and she does it with such grace she does it being so kind and so generous it's amazing she's bionic yeah, it's crazy. It's it's interesting to watch some people. They just they just start out and they and they just then all of a sudden they're famous and it's just amazing to kind of see how they just it's like and then there's some people that you just know just spent so many so long in the trenches working so hard. I know, and then some people are. spend that amount of time and it never happens. And I think it's it it's. I remember when I was starting out, my mentor in Edinburgh who ran a uh, his name was Bobby Heatley and he ran a. Um, rehearsal room and a studio and he was very kind he would give me rehearsal space and help me get some demos together it was really invaluable to have that when I was young and I didn't have any money um and he said to me it's 30 percent talent 70 percent business head and I said no way there's that's that's got to be rubbish it's got to be the other way around and unfortunately I really have come to realize that that's that that's true you've got you've got to be a great businesswoman or businessman to and, and really try and understand the business, especially now. It, it's probably actually a higher percent business these days, just because music has changed so much. It's not really about songwriting craft in the same way as it used to be. Um, it's about positioning. It seems like a lot today, like yeah, being a, on the right right social media platform oh at the right God. time I mean, doing the right whole, thing. And it's it's, it's, it's a little insane to me when I look back. I'm like, call it a box of frogs is what yeah, I call it. Just yeah, mad. I look back. I mean, I'm I'm 43. I look back on it. And I'm like, yeah. you know, 
well, they're not doing it like they did it in my day. You know, like, it makes me feel kind of old. It's definitely different. It's a little different out there. Those kids these days, I don't know if I can handle it. What's he saying? <laughs> What's his own? He's on, he's on TikTok. What's he saying? He's going to a party and he's excited about the party. And then he just repeats that. No, it's it, it's definitely just a different. There's music is like a lava lamp to me. It just goes through these phases, you know, and it comes around and things come around. And I think music is such a powerful force that at some point, what is in the spotlight is gonna have to be really soulful, meaningful, emotional stuff again. It'll come around, and I think it's like hip hop and rap are having an amazing. They're really the exciting areas of music right now. I, I'm not a huge hip-hop and rap fan, so I'm not kind of privy to it so much because I don't listen to it that much. But I feel like that's where a lot of exciting stuff is happening at the moment. I think that's the good thing about music, though, is it always it always has that cycle of coming back to things that you can relate to. And that means what that means to me is that I don't need it always to relate to me. I think it's even more special when it doesn't relate to me, but other people are relating to it. Cause that means everyone gets something out of music. Yeah, It's not exactly. just me. Cause if it was just me understanding Imagine it all the time. Imagine if everyone only liked avocados, there would just be no avocados yeah, left no, and everybody would be sad. Thank goodness we all like different things. Yeah. You know, Or it's... what if somebody, all we liked was accordion music. And we don't <laughs> just... Banjo sure, music. Maybe there was a time in history when that was true. I feel like this is a great place around. for a banjo joke. Some, <laughs> somebody's got one. Songbirds Radio Hour. We're going to take another brief musical break. This is Katie Tunstall's Little Favors, followed by one of her earliest influences, Dire Straits playing Lady Rider.
Songbirds Radio Hour. Our guest is Katie Tunstall. She played a show here at Songbirds in September 2023, and we were very fortunate to interview her backstage. Tonight, we're sharing that conversation along with a selection of Katie's tunes and her influences. Let's talk a little bit about your playing style, because people always ask questions about stuff like that. I think that what you're doing tonight is, uh, you know, you're playing as a solo um, artist and you're utilizing looping pedals and maybe talk a little bit about the process of, cause I think loopers, I think people, I think some people will overutilize them. They don't use them in a great way. And then I think some people use them in a, such a, a profound way. And where's the line? How do you know when you got too much loop or too little, or you're doing too many things or. So spoiler alert, watching looping is extremely boring. I just think it's not exciting. It's exciting for probably about 15 seconds. Seeing someone set up the beat, do the shaker, maybe some backing vocals. That's it. (laughs) Once you've got the beat going, that's your little 
kind of gimmick and it's a sonic support, but it has to be the support. And then you've got to get on with singing the song because people are there to listen to the song. They're not there to listen to your loop pedal, you know? And so that's always been really obvious to me just from a personal preference when I've watched other people doing it and I'm like a minute and a half in and this person is still like messing around with buttons and looking at their feet. I feel like it's like noodling on stage. Oh my God. And I apologize if I've like spawned (laughs) (laughs) generations of people thinking that their loop pedals are cool because they're just not. Songs are cool. And if your loop pedal can be an instrument that expands the experience of that song, then that's great. Um, Accentuates it. Yeah. Rather than just like becoming a burden. And there's some songs where I will often just not use the pedal and just play the song. I'll read the room. What kind of, what kind of venue is it? Is everyone going to be chilled out and sitting down? And if everybody's sort of really in a, in a more kind of, uh, calm situation rather than standing up and jumping about, sometimes it's nicer to not have that pedal in there and just play them the song so that they can really hear everything and hear the guitar work and hear the, the lyrics. Um, but of course, looping is super exciting. And a lot of people uh, still, I feel, at gigs haven't seen it before being done. Um, and the funny thing is I never changed my loop pedal. I still use the same one that I used the very first time. I went up to their uh, their Mark II, <laughs> an Akai Headrush II instead of the original. Um, but it's you you can only add. So with my loop pedal, you can't save anything. There's no quantizing or tempo. There's no presets. And you just have to have great timing and you can only add in. You can't take anything away. And I found that I've always been a real fan with production as well and working in the studio of limitation. Whenever I go into a situation where you've got endless choice, it usually actually makes the music worse. It, it becomes saturated and diluted and unfocused. And I, I, I much prefer DIY gar- garage studios to, yeah. to fancy studios. Yeah, because you, you, you go into a studio and there's 128 tracks or a million yeah. tracks or how many. And some people feel like i got to fill all of them up. You're like, man, the song only needs four tracks. Exactly Make it right, four yeah. tracks. You know? And you get creative. Like you, you, if you, I always say this because I love Tom Waits, but... Bone Machine was one of the first albums I bought on CD and it was just like, you know, it sounded like he recorded in a barn. Probably like, did. With, like, you know, a bunch of torture tools or something. It was crazy. While he was hanging upside down. Yeah, I'm but I, I remember hearing this kick, and I was like, it sounds like a boot slamming into a cardboard box, and it probably was. Oh, 
And when you're in a fancy studio, someone's going to tell you that you need this $12,000 piece of equipment and a plug-in and, you know, five different microphone positions to get that sound. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need an SM57 and you need to hit a cardboard box with a boot. And there's your sound. And so I think with my first record, it was a really good lesson because it was done so lo-fi. We were duct-taking, duct-taping comforters on the wall. We were just in this really, this guy's house making the records. And you can hear realness. And that's what I love about really old blues, is that you can hear people stamping on the floor, slapping their thighs. You know, they're mixing in real space where the backing singers are backing off from one mic. You know, it's the same mic as the lead singer. And I think there's something in that um, authentic realness where we can just hear if something is real or not. And we Did just you know. Uh, eye to the telescope like that? Or was that was it? Eye to yeah. the Telescope, so yeah. Yeah, in like a really DIY space. Very, very DIY. Yeah. And we only, it was just me on guitar, a drummer, and the, the producer, Steve Osborne, played some bass, and then we just like got two or three other people in to play a bit a bit of this and that. But it, it was, we could have done that on an eight track, that, that record. what makes makes those kind of records special is i mean there's so many so many bands that come out of the gate and people are like oh they you know they have a great first album and then their second album is not as good and i I think some people are like oh they just lost their creative energy i'm like i don't know if they did i think they just got they got so many they went from like having so little little options that they had to work with what they had and then they get to this point and they're like it's so big and so grandiose and we got to have a choir and we got to have this and it's super interesting exactly right so you suddenly have options and you want to use them all and also i think maybe something about second album syndrome that people who haven't gone through album processes maybe don't understand is um you're going from zero to hero. If you're making a second album, then you're doing pretty well. Right. right? Your yeah. first album's done well enough that you're making a second one. So you've gone from no one knowing who you are 
to really having eyes on you and there's pressure on you and you've gone from playing in bars to probably playing in bigger venues and so for me personally it was like god i need to i need a sound that's going to fill these venues so you you want to make a record that feels like it's going to fill those bigger venues even if you don't really want to make music that sounds like that yeah you're going to be kind of naked on stage playing it yeah. and got to play a stadium uh, yeah I understand and then the it. other thing is once you start making some money a whole lot of other people get involved in what you're doing a lot of other people get interested mm-hmm. in what you're going to make and whether you're going to keep making the money or not so that you know you get a bunch of record company people a bunch of publishing company people and suddenly everybody's got an opinion mm-hmm. on what you're doing and it's it's quite difficult to not listen and try and keep that out because at the same time they're kind of paying for the studio you know yeah so it can be a really tricky navigation i certainly felt like i went through it was very difficult making the second album yeah i think i think that's a really good point i think it is a difficult process it's a difficult process from the ground to the to to the first album the first album it's always i feel like music is always you got to put the blood sweat and the tears in there to get anything out to get anything that you care about you just have to it's a big commitment and it's like when you begin you feel like you know who you are but when you get slammed up against the wall by getting famous then you find out who you are you find out a, a, a part of yourself that's really put in in a high pressurized situation that's usually very kind of consistently high pressure you're on tour all the time you're promo all the time you're dealing with your family life and your personal stuff at the same time as all this stuff going mental you know around you it's, it's like being in a it's like being in a storm you know um and then you're kind of expected to make another record, uh, right? Like uh, in it. Um, so it's it's very it's very discombobulating, and um, it's really easy to understand why that's a hard process for people once you've been through it. Yeah, and I mean, you, I've, I know I've I think I've heard you say on an interview before that you didn't even really want to be famous. No, and just- I still don't. <laughs> I have to be really careful saying that, though, because I believe in cosmic attraction and I believe in, in, in kind of the positive and negative energy that you put out there having an effect on you. And there are wonderful things about being well-known. I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I'm well-known for doing what I love doing and also doing what I want to do. I haven't ever done anything or released anything I didn't want to. And it's always been up to my standard. I would never release something that didn't feel good. And I've pushed myself every record. I've never repeated myself or felt like I've kind of just phoned it in and painted by numbers with anything. It's always trying to push boundaries every time I make a record. Um, But uh, people knowing who you are outside of being on stage is really weird. Yeah. I, I can see that just from being where we are. Yeah. We'll have people come up and we'll do an interview and they, you know, they're just the most normal person in the world. And we'll, we'll walk down the street and we'll be chatting. And all of a sudden there's like this group of people. And to me, it, it doesn't make any sense. There's like people getting closer and closer and closer. And then finally I'm like, what do you want? And then you're like, Oh, Oh, you're here for, for this, yeah. for this guy. who's yeah, just totally right. like a normal guy. And you're just, and they're always like so gracious and they sign autographs yeah. and stuff, but it does seem like I find be- a pretty happy place with it. I feel like I was lucky because my songs became way more famous than me to the point where I wasn't kind of attached to them because suddenly I see was in Devil Wears Prada. Her face is a map of the world, is a map of the world. You can see she's a beautiful girl, she 
So that was a film kind of attachment. And I wasn't in the film, so no one knew what I looked like. So all the fans of the song from there, and um, a lot of people I think don't even know, didn't even know who the song was by. They just knew it because of the movie. And Black Horse and the Cherry Tree just, again, was just this, this big global hit. Uh, kind of came through American Idol. Catherine McPhee sang it on that show. And then it just got picked up and used a lot on, on things. And it got on the radio a lot. Um, but again, I didn't feel like I became the super famous face of it. Do you know what I mean? That's probably the appropriate level of fame, right? It's just like enough to like where you... You get to you get to reap a lot of the benefits, but you don't have to like be followed around the grocery store every single time you go. And I, I you know, I, I can't imagine what that's like. We, yeah. you know, no, I can't either. I don't envy that. We've interviewed everyone. We've interviewed Kevin Bacon and a bunch of people, and it's just kind of it's all levels of just insanity where you're like, that doesn't I mean, make. Some bit. people are built for it. Some people are, are yeah. Great some people to are it. great, and and you. I think the best thing is everyone we've interviewed has been super cool. You know, they they don't. Uh, you know, they don't have massive egos, which you think they would, but they don't. Yeah. They're always really cool. I mean, I always think, though, it's, the world would be so boring if we didn't have people with massive egos because they're so fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they write all the good music and all the... All I mean, the all, good like, stories come from people who've done yeah. some terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know we probably... We're about out of time. I just... Uh, kind of last thing. I know you've... Uh, I know, like you've you've been political and you've uh, spoken out against. Like, I know there was a festival in Scotland or something. Yes, that you, it was like all all males <laughs> on the lineup. It was super funny. It was like, just like a ninety nine percent male lineup, and the festival director said, "Girls just need to pick up guitars more often." And I tweeted back, "I've had great dudes picking up my guitars for fifteen years, and I pay them well." <laughs> 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 well, kind of off of that, I think that's great. I, off of that, like what what kind of, you know, we we do give out tons of guitars and we yeah. support and we, you know, I think it's great for um, young kids to hear from female guitarists who are playing out there. Like what what advice do you give or what, you know, what do you what do you have to say to someone who's just picking up the guitar, who's, yeah. you know, fighting those battles? And, you know, one thing I will say is. Girls and boys, men and women, we're different. We like different things. We have different personality traits. There's very kind of, there are, there are very noticeable differences between men and women. And what I've noticed as a female guitarist is I've traveled, I've toured with an all female band before, and it was so hard to find female lead guitarists. They're very, very rare. And I think part of it is maybe, this is just my theory, I I don't know if this is true, but it seems like young boys are really keen to emulate and learn something, you know, uh, something technical. They like technical things. They like physical technical things. And from my experience of life, I see girls liking that stuff less And so little boys are loving learning every single Jimmy Page riff and Jack White riffs. And they just sit and they copy and they copy and they copy and they want to do that. And maybe girls just aren't as into doing that. I don't know. But maybe it's because there hasn't been enough representation and little girls need to see more 
female yeah, lead guitarists. Cool and so they see it and they go, oh, I want to do that. But, you know, the, the music industry is, is without doubt, like massively predominantly male. It's unusual to meet female crew members. It's getting more, more usual now. But um, bottom line, there's a boyishness. There's a masculinity to the music industry. And you either have to be our queen over here, Dolly Parton, where you can just be ultra feminine and hard as balls <laughs> and smile your way through really difficult situations. Or more like me, where I'm a bit of a tomboy and I love hanging out with guys and I love playing music with guys. I love male company and I don't mind things being a little gritty because I'll tell you what, touring ain't glamorous, kids. <laughs> um, unless you get really, really, really famous and then good luck, have a nice time. Um, but I think it's opportunity, right? It's making sure any girl or boy that wants to give it a go can get their hands on a guitar. Thanks so much for being with yeah, us today. On the, I mean, we're just... We're always so thrilled to have people come. It's on, awesome. So. What a fantastic environment to do an interview in. It's just great. Yeah. We got a, there's a few guitars around. I know. And you got, the, you got, you know, you got one of the most famous guitars, Dwayne Allman's. The SG. Uh, you know, his, uh, yeah, his, his Absolutely. Like and, Beautiful. Uh, and Dolly over here. And then Richard Lloyd. I mean, television, Marky Moon. Yeah. Written, written on that guitar right there, which I is mean, amazing. I mean, Bo Diddley. I, is, I would not be here sitting talking to you if it wasn't for Bo Diddley because that's what suddenly I see is based on. It's yeah. the Bo Diddley beat. So. Yeah. Huge bow. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, Appreciate it so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been lovely talking. Women here, women there. Women, women, women everywhere. But one little girl lived on a hill. She rustled and dozzled like Buffalo Bill. One day she decides she'd go for a ride With a pistol and a sword by her side She rolled right up to my front door Knocked and knocked till a fist got sore We appreciate you tuning in to the Songbirds Radio Hour this evening. I want to thank Katie Tunstall for taking time to sit down with us. Be sure to check out her music. She's got such a fantastic catalog that you can make your way through if you haven't already. Next month, we'll be featuring another intrepid performer, Emily Wolf. Watch out for that episode on December 9th at 7 p.m. here on WUTC. Saw my baby run across the field Slipping and sliding like an automobile Hollering my baby run the away Slipped off from it like a Cadillac Songbirds Radio Hour is made possible through a grant from the Riverview Foundation. If you'd like to attend a live taping of the Radio Hour, please visit songbirdsfoundation.org for more information. This episode was produced and written by Reed Caldwell and John Dooley. Live recording by James Snyder. Additional thanks to Victoria Sauer, Charlie Moss, WTC, and of course, Katie Tunstall. Directed, edited, and mixed by John Dooley. 